to Redrawing the Bath. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. This is your host, Chris Harmon, and today I'm going to do something a little different, something that I'm hoping to carry into the new year, which is kind of talking at the beginning of the episode. Um, just a few things for all of you that I'd love to share with you. Uh, if you would like to connect with the show more, uh, you can contact me by email through redrawingthebath at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Chris Harmon RTB, and you can also follow the podcast on Twitter where I'm going to try to be more con- consistent with content on on Twitter. Um, this year's been crazy, and, and we're here at the end of it, and we're here after a lot of darkness, after a lot of loss. I can speak for myself that these last few months in particular have been very challenging. They've been very dark. Um... But as you'll hear in today's episode with a, someone who's become a, a hero, a mentor from afar, and a dear friend, that it is only in the darkest of, of nights that the brightest of lights can shine. And so I just want to encourage you guys, wherever you're at, that in this time of year, whether you're Christian or post-Christian or confused or frustrated or wherever you find yourself in in the darkest of circumstances, I just hope that you find yourselves in a position of expectance in a position of hoping for something better because something better is around the corner I don't know what that is I'm looking forward to seeing it but even in the midst of my own struggles which will probably be becoming more clear as the show progresses um, something good is around the corner something good is always around the corner and something good has been around the corner so today I get to talk to Alexander John Shia someone who I think the world of and we talk about his new project the 13 days of Christmas and talk about the history of Christmas and the celebration that it is and it's just a really good conversation we laughed we cried he blew my mind as he always does and it's I'm excited to share it with you but without further ado here we go hello everyone Welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. This is your host Chris Harmon, and today I get a a special opportunity to talk about a work that has been in the works for a while. I was telling my guest before we started that this Advent season has been very interesting for me, finding myself in in new circumstances. Um, and I'm just I was just looking for something to to read to get into that heart place of advent to get into that anticipation that that hopeful place but also the the solemnness of of the moment in spiritual history and so today I get to talk to someone who has impacted me in so many ways and and continues to shape the way I see the world the way I see myself and now the way I see Advent. So today I get to welcome to the show Dr. Alexander Shia. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's it's so good to have you back. As soon as like I said, as soon as I saw that this work was being released, at least a, a soft opening, I was so excited. Like I was I was so ready. It, it, it's been something I've been thinking about since before we've even spoken, but when I was introduced to your work through Seth Price. So I know this is a long time coming, but uh, it's good that it's here. 
just in time. It it'll be it'll be good to good to have a solid copy in my hands. So as we're starting, I guess the the, the first question I would have is is obviously the book is about the thirteen days of Christmas. And for many people, we've all grown up with the song Twelve Days of Christmas. Um what what is the additional day? So uh there's no really additional day. It's just sort of this trick that happened, and I don't know by what intent, but if you actually count from the 25th of December to the 6th of January, it's 13 days. So what we have is we have the first day, Christmas Day, uh, followed by the 12 days of Christmas to make 13. And what I've been exploring and what I'm sharing with people is where does the idea of the 13 days come from? Almost all the Christmas traditions that we're familiar with started in the Celtic world. And the Celts celebrated a 13-day festival at the winter solstice. And when Christianity met the Celtic world, we assumed this 13-day festival but rather than a festival for the winter solstice, we made it the Christmas festival. And uh, I mean, and I can go on from there, but let me just sort of stop and see if you've got a question. Yeah, no, I, I, I think the, the first question would be, what, was there something special that, that the Christians observed from the Celtic tradition within this idea of having a festival from the solstice? Well, so... Let's first of all, let's remember that Christianity does not have the feast of Christmas until we meet the Celtic world in in really the fourth century. And and this may be surprising to people, but before the fourth century, as Christians, we had Sunday. That was our that was our core feast day. Was every Sunday, and we thought of every Sunday as Easter. So we didn't. In those early centuries, we didn't celebrate Easter once a year. We celebrated Easter 52 times a year. And then the second development was we decided to have one Easter Sunday a year, which was sort of high Easter compared to the other 51. And then we go north of the Alps in the third century, and we begin to meet the Celtic world. And I like to remind us that the Celtic world in, at this time period extends from what today is Ireland all the way to Turkey. That whole swath of Europe north of the Alps is the Celtic world. Now, there, there are different tribal and national variations. But what was true about this whole group of Celtic cultures is they're all organized around the sun calendar, the S-U-N calendar. And their central symbol is the great tree, which they think of as the axis of the world. Well, as long as we Christians had stayed in the Mediterranean primarily, we stayed with our Jewish mother's calendar of the moon cycle. So when we go north of the Alps and we meet this other culture, 
they can't appreciate or understand what we're celebrating because they primarily are rooted in the 12-month sun calendar, whereas we as Christians are rooted in the 28-day moon calendar. So we do something which Christianity does at, when it's at its best. And this is one of the brilliant moments of Christianity because we say to the Celtic world, tell us what you're celebrating. Because at this point in our history, we know that we don't go and take Jesus somewhere, that Jesus is already everywhere. Jesus is already everywhere in the cosmos. And so all we have to do is to link up what people are believing to what we're going to see as a deeper reality. So the, the Celts are celebrating their, their core feast day is the winter solstice. And we have to remember that in this time period, the Celts, you know, they're not like us today where the winter solstice is, well, we know that on the winter solstice that a couple of days after the winter solstice, the sun is going to start to increase. We just know because we know astronomy. Um, for the Celts, they believed that they had to engage in spiritual practice. And then unless they engaged in spiritual practice, the sun may not be reborn. Well, we see this and we say, well, we know about an eternal birth or rebirth of the sun, which is the S-O-N. And so we look at what they are understanding about at the winter solstice and from their understanding and from their need, we craft the Feast of Christmas. So there's no opposition between Christmas and the winter solstice. The winter solstice is the reason that drew forth from us the Feast of Christmas, because spiritually, as Christians, we know that the Christ is always born again when we're in the time of our deep darkness. So we could look at what the Celts were understanding in an outer way and say, ah, but that outer reality also is matched by an inner spiritual reality. So that we make the, the winter solstice the feast of Christmas because in the Northern Hemisphere, the, the physical sensation, the body sensation of being in the depth of winter and being in the dark is precisely the place that we as Christians know that when we are in an inner time of dark, when we're in an inner time of winter, that's exactly where the new radiance of the Christ is born in us. So, the nature helps us tell the incarnational body experience of the birth of radiance in our lives. It, it, I mean, we, we, we did this just a few times in our history, but every time that we've done it, it's gold. And, and, it's, and it's because we already know that Jesus the Christ is everywhere. So you don't go and take Jesus anywhere. You go and help people discover 
the reality that's already there, but they don't see it fully. Oh, we are, we are, we're on the way. And I, I mean that, I mean, I, that's not a hope. I mean, I, I get, because I go around the world now, and I get to see that there's this vital, fresh Christianity. It's not being covered by the media yet, but it is so true and it's becoming very deeply rooted and it's only going to grow. Spirit. The time, the time is right. We, we, we know the old categories aren't working anymore. Not for everybody, but for many of us, the old categories are not working anymore. And, and Spirit is helping us reshuffle the deck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and actually, today I lost a, a family member to COVID. So it, uh, you know, it's slowly as we've, as this year has gone, it's come closer and closer. And, and today it has come home. So I, I share um, the, the pain, the deep pain uh, of this period. But what, what, the, the Celts, in, in my reading of the Celts, were a people of hope because they came to this dark period every year and, and they called November and December the deepest dark. And, and they believed that they had to do spiritual practice in this time, hoping that the sun would be reborn. And what I want to help us as Christians understand is we were not intended to be a tradition of hope. Um, hope is a developmental virtue. We are intended to be on the way to knowing, to knowing that in the deep dark of our lives, that becomes the womb place of the Christ's new radiance. So Christianity is about teaching us about 
how we can go into the dark, not people of hope, but people of knowing that these are the places where the Christ's new radiance, new grace, freshness will arise in us. And this was what we had to offer to the Celtic world. And we have to offer to ourselves that a dark time is not how the world ends, mm. but a dark time is how the world is reborn. I like to, to help us go back to our roots, which means a little bit of redefinition. But um, we have a phrase in our culture, which um, is very different than a spiritual tradition. Mm. Um, the spiritual tradition of Judaism and of Christianity and of the Celtic world was that every new day starts just after sunset. Mm. And uh, it's so interesting, Chris, as we're talking, I'm here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I've just looked out my window and the, the light of the old day is fading and in another 10 minutes or so, it's going to be dark. And this darkness is the new day. And it's because Judaism and Christianity and the Celtic world wanted to teach us that when the sun goes down, that's where things begin again, mm -hmm. that the darkness is always how things begin. And let's remember that, that as a human, all of us are conceived in the dark womb. Mm -hmm. And let's remember that most plant life is born out of the dark earth. And, and so the word evening, the arrival of evening or darkness was how we came to think of Eve, Adam and Eve, Eve, the first woman, that Eve is the dark soil or the dark night, which is an image of the womb, the place where all life begins or begins again. Mm. So our term in our spiritual term of Christmas Eve is not the 24th of December. Christmas Eve stands for Christmas evening that arrives just after sunset on the 24th. And it signals the beginning of the great feast of Christmas, that every great feast begins in the evening, moves through the night, comes to dawn, and then morning. Because the way, the spiritual way that we count the 24 hours is always telling us about the interior journey that we make with our God, constantly teaching us again and again, when you find your life in darkness, this is the first hour. This is the beginning hour. That if we faithfully walk through this time, we are going to come to a new dawn and a new morning and a greater day. And that then eventually that day is going to bend around back to sunset and to nightfall and we start over again. Mm. But it's just so important, I think, especially in this season, in this year, uh, with all the challenges that we have socially in our culture right now, to begin to redeem darkness as a holy face of our God 
that darkness is not the absence of God. Darkness is not the opposite of God. That darkness is the first face of our God. And, and, it, and it is why in the Christian tradition, our Christian New Year is at the time of the deepest dark. It was just a few weeks ago. Hmm. Again, everything in Christianity has been trying to teach us to remember this principle that everything begins in darkness, that darkness is God's womb, if you will, from which all new life and new grace will flow. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's weird to me as we talk about this idea that that creation in and of itself kind of reveals this characteristic of God that in in a culture, in a time in history where we are more aware of the cosmic nature and, and the nature that is visible to our eyes, that we've somehow, especially people of faith that have lost out on this reality and, and this truth that in so many ways since times of old has, has shaped the the season where do you think we lost that well i exactly know when we lost it um we lost it during the period of the enlightenment mm. which was about our desire for reason and what we thought was a logic which was greater than mystery mm. and we began to develop a culture which was about, quote-unquote, industry. And industry decided that it was best for them to start the day at midnight because in the midnight or the few hours after midnight, they could close the books on the old day and get ready for the, the new financial day that was coming. Hmm. And and so we went away from the rhythm that we had lived as humans for eons. Mm. 98% of all world cultures see the arrival of sunset as the end of the old day and the coming of night as the beginning of the new day. Wow. It's stunning to see how across world culture, indigenous peoples, almost everybody instinctively does that. But 400 years ago, we went to clock time hmm. and we began to change the day when we were asleep hmm. because it was easier for commerce. Yeah. Jeez. All, all for the sake of profit, right? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I understand it. I just, uh, I, I like to keep both clocks. Mm. And I mean, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's interesting that post enlightenment, you kind of, I mean, our outlook on the world and, and life, I mean, not necessarily from a secular as in to condemn secular thought, but it doesn't really seem like the popular worldview is bending back towards optimism. Hmm. It, it I, that's a that's kind of a fascinating thought that that the further we've gotten away from this idea that there can be new beginnings every day, that if anything, when we go to sleep on Thursday, we're worried 
that our boss is going to have something that he's upset about on Friday. Right. Right. And it's right. It's a, it's a, gosh, it's, 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 I don't, I don't know what to, to say about it. it I, I think I'm just thinking about it right now. What, what would you tell someone? Sorry. Go, go ahead. Oh, oh, what, what would you tell someone that is looking to practice this in practice the, the beginning of a new day every day in a world where we're only worried about what we're going to do tomorrow? Right. Uh, I, I mean, my, I, I can only tell you what my practice is and how much it's helped me mm. um, that I make an intentional practice as many days as I can to stop at sunset, uh, to do a bit of quiet, to watch the night sky turn dark, and to ask for the grace to understand that the dark time is a beginning time, and that just as we people of science know that going through the dark, you're going to come to a dawn, you're going to come to the full light of day, to know that that will happen in my life. It's like, a, unfortunately, I can't plot it on a clock or plot it on a calendar. But I know that life with God means that every dark time will, at some point on the journey, become a new dawn. It's, it's amazing to see kind of this desire for spiritual formation. Um, I know I'm in, in people, the, the desire to actually not just go and meditate for a day and say, oh my goodness, I feel so much better. But I feel like there's this resurgence in the concepts of, of taking serious spiritual formation seriously, not, not taking it lightly at all. And so fortunately, the, the listeners that I know of are, are people that are always looking for stuff to or looking for new practices to help them deepen their relationship with God. And I, I love, for me, um, the idea of praying with nature, mm. which, which I don't see nature as God, but I see nature as an expression of God. Mm. I'm going to take you back to a, a picture, an icon that I saw many, many years ago in a monastery. Uh, long before there were things like smartphones or cell phones. And I didn't have a camera and I would love to have snapped a picture of this icon because it says everything. Hmm. So this old icon, and we think it was first carved, painted in the fifth century. Hmm. And up in the corner of the icon is this old man's head or what looks like an old man to me. He's got flying gray hair, and coming out of this head, this face, are lines. And I think we can think of those lines as either words or perhaps breath. And I like to think of, of God the Father, God the Source, as breathing out. Standing in front of this face, this head, is a full body of what I'm going to say is Jesus the Christ with outstretched arms mm. and falling out of the body of the Christ 
are the seven days of creation. And that's exactly my understanding of John's understanding from the prologue and the deepest truth of Christianity, that before the first moment of time, God breathed, God breathed the cosmos, and God continues to breathe in every moment the cosmos. So when I look at the cosmos and when I look at nature, I see what has come forth out of God. And, of course, Jesus the Christ is the fullness of what has come forth out of God. And that these two realities teach us about the one great reality of everything that has come forth from God. So, so what, 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 what science teaches me about nature, I also try to understand what science is teaching me about the Christ. And when I study the Christ in the scriptures, I understand that the Christ is also teaching me about nature. That, that um, the Christ is the fullness of what has come forth from God. But because the cosmos has also come forth from God, mm. that these two great realities can't be in opposition. You know, it, it, I, I don't understand what the, why have we walked away from this? I, I, I keep hearing that idea that, that nature in, this, in a similar way to the Christ is a revelation of God himself. Why are people so opposed to that? Oh. I, I really, I don't know, Chris. Um, I, I have the gift and the grace of having grown up in a mystical Christianity where, where mm. I understood through the mysticism that God was incarnate with me and that my, and that my mm. body and senses and smells and hearing and tonality and all of that was was part of the way that God conveyed God's presence to me. I, so I can make an educated guess, and your listeners are probably much more able to speak to this than I am, but I'm imagining that that, that sort of reality wasn't part of the upbringing, and that we were told to think of God as a concept or an idea. Um, and that, and that your own physical body self might not be an instrument that would bring you to God, but that in some ways you were taught that your body was a way of not following God. And that is just so far away from the Christianity that I was grown, that I was born into. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it you mentioned the, the the prologue to John, and it, it it creates this picture that, I mean, there there's really no other way to read that other than this idea that not only is Jesus incarnational God, but in some ways even creation itself is an incarnational being of God. Um, I just don't understand that. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around it more each and every day. But I think back to the back to kind of the 
the advent the the johannine um passage i i have a lot of friends personally that actually really don't like john's uh beginning to the gospel that john one i mean I, I feel like you have to include that in the nativity story like if there was anything i could do to put that in the beginning of every single yeah. children's book every single family book i would be like put this at the beginning because it's just so important it's what 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 significance do you think that that prologue has to that beginning to that radiance being born so first of all i absolutely am passionately in love with john but i'm not in love with the translation of john that the english world has hmm. today it's horrible it's an abomination hmm. um i grew up understanding Aramaic. I understand the Aramaic worldview. I understand the way that the historical Jesus would have spoken and the way that he would have conveyed. And the Aramaic mm. worldview is everything belongs. The Aramaic worldview is an indigenous worldview which sees all of creation as having come forth from God and that every part of it works together in right relationship with God. So therefore, uh, as I listen to my Jewish rabbi and Jewish scholars, I understand that their translation of Genesis is the first lines are not in the beginning, but in a beginning or in every beginning. And when you take that and you bring that forward to John's prologue, you can hear John saying in Greek, an Aramaic understanding, in every beginning is God's logos. But again, logos at the time that it finds its way into John's prologue is an idea that has a 300-year history in Judaism. And logos does not mean, quote unquote, word. Logos means allness or variness. In every beginning is allness with God. And then the next piece about the prologue is, go back to that icon. We have tended to think of God speaking and things coming to be. I think for us today, a more intimate metaphor will be God's breathing. In every beginning is God's breathing. And God's breathing is with God and God's breathing is God. And no thing comes to be except in God's breath. So every leaf, every tree, every grain of soil and sand, every piece of stardust, is part of the fabric of God's breathing. And you and I are part of the fabric right now of God's breathing. Hmm.
Mm. Yeah. And and not only a, a, a new beginning, but a new beginning from an unexpected place. It's one of the the beauties of the nativity. It's the the beauty of the nativity, the beauty of the time afterwards, but it's this it's it's the most unexpected of things of I mean, even even in church over the last few weeks, going through an advent uh lectionary, we've been talking about this idea of expectation and hope and, and how sometimes the promises look different than we would have thought. And it's growing up very conservative, you you, you read the Bible, this very rigid book where you can't actually wrestle with these tensions of well like this prophecy says this about the messiah and jesus embodies that in this way or and but it's completely different than the way that some would think of you have this what many would probably expect to to come from rome or, or come from uh, wherever the the pharisees live but instead you you have this baby born in a barn in, in luke but remember in matthew jesus is born at home but in luke we have luke is the text that gives us the historical setting of when jesus is born but we've misinterpreted that luke is not giving us that historical anchor because he wants us to deify history Luke wants us to know about how painful those days were. Jesus is born at the time where the Roman emperor is a despot like unto Hitler. And the Roman emperor's stooges are the governors in Syria and Palestine. Pilate, mm. Herod, and the priests in the Jewish temple have sold out for their own sake of comfort. They've sold out to the governor and the emperors. So that at this moment in time, the people feel like there's, there's no recourse. Their religion has turned against them. The civil government has turned against them. They're being made to give the bread out of their children's mouths to gild the new temple in Jerusalem. And mm. at this point, no one would have ever believed that there could be a turnaround. And that's mm. the deepest reality of what Luke wants us to remember. Whenever you are in the deepest dark and you think, we can't have a turnaround. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. Ah, our spirituality teaches us this is not how the world ends. This is how the world is reborn. Mm. Yeah. Gosh, there's so many layers to it. There's There's so many ways in which we can draw from just this this single season it's a I, there's so many layers and so many <laughs> so many like different directions we could talk about I'm just like i don't know i i just i think the more the more mystical 
my understanding becomes thanks to thanks to people like you and and thanks to works like yours it i feel so much more joy in those dark nights yeah. of the soul um to use a christianese term uh but but really like i i i feel like i, I was always kind of told like oh well christmas is about expectancy and and being hopeful for something in the future but I, I feel like now that i literally see that all of creation bears witness to this one single truth that is summed up in this specific time of year i can actually be hopeful let, let, let me let me let me just go to a concrete ritual if i will um, because most of us are doing this in our homes right now mm-hmm when the Christians met the Celtic world and they mm-hmm. saw the, the the great day of the winter solstice and remember before the change of calendar that the solstice used to be the 25th of December. On the 24th of December, what the Celts were doing mm-hmm. is, is they were celebrating the birth of the sacred tree. And in those ancient times, the sacred tree was the oak tree before the oak forests of Europe were decimated and then eventually became the fir or the evergreen tree. But at this moment on the 24th of December, the oak tree mm-hmm. has lost its leaves. It stands there barren. And in its barrenness, the Celts realize this is the womb time of the oak tree. And so they would hang in the limbs of the oak tree apples and pears and pomegranates in all the fruits of this past year's season. And they would celebrate that at this moment of the deepest dark, Mm. the sacred oak tree is reborn. Well, Christians see this placing of fruits in the great tree. And we say, oh, we know this story. And we understand that in the birth of Christ, the Garden of Eden is restored. And so we make December the 24th the feast of Adam and Eve. And in the olden days, this is the day that we decorate the sacred tree, understanding that the tree of life is now restored and open to all. And so the wonder and the joy and the mystery of our bringing those trees into our house and placing those ornaments on it and placing lights in it, do we understand that we are celebrating Eden again? And that the feeling, is there any... (laughs) Nobody needs to teach us about the wonder of a tree in our home that is lit that is that lights up our nighttime and i ache so much that somebody is out there teaching that christmas trees are not part of the christian tradition what a bunch of hooey Yeah, no, it's, I actually, yeah, that's the first time 
I've ever heard that expressed that way, ever. I think. Well, gosh, makes me want to go put up another Christmas. It tree. used to be that um, that each church or each community would just have one tree in the village square or outside the church, which is what we would decorate. But I love. There's nothing I long for more in the dark season than having that tree in my home, in my space. And having spent five years in New Zealand and Australia where Christmas is the time of the year where the sun doesn't go down to 11 o'clock at night, nobody puts up trees. Nobody puts up Christmas lights. It, it, you don't understand how much it's the light in the darkness is a whole. It's in our tradition, we're not lighting lights against the dark. We're lighting lights to decorate the dark. And 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 having lights at 10 o'clock at night when the sun is still up makes no sense. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. It's it's crazy how it all comes together. It, it's crazy that it that it all points back to this single universal truth that it's all about new beginnings and it always has been about new beginnings and it always ever will be about new beginnings. And in that new beginning we can go back to where so we were. There's one to more be. piece I want to add because I'm hoping that people might, uh, on Christmas morning, that they might remember this. If not, step outside if you're in a place where you can see the sunlight. Um, today, the winter solstice and the great feast of Christmas are separated by three days. And um, for centuries, that wasn't true because December the 25th was the winter solstice. But in the 16th century, uh, the calendar had to be corrected because we had been following the calendar created by Julius Caesar in 45 BCE. And that calendar had 362 days a year in it. So every year we lost three days off of what was the sun cycle in our calendar. And by the time we get to the 16th century, December mm. is now in the summertime. So in the 16th century, a new calendar was created that added three days to every year. And then of course, the, the added a leap year um, every fourth, uh, a leap day every fourth year. But it created this huge dilemma for us as Christians. Do mm -hmm. we move the feast of Christmas from the 25th back to the 21st or 22nd to stay in the winter solstice? Or do we leave it on this traditional day of the 25th of December, which has been the day in Christendom for hundreds of years? What to do, what to do, what to do, what to do? Well, Theology always follows incarnation, always follows nature. So I'll just fast forward, and for anybody, if you 
so wish mm-hmm. to buy my PDF on the 13 days of Christmas. There's a longer discussion of this. But in essence, we know that the word solstice, solstet, means sun still. And for 72 hours at the winter solstice and for 72 hours at the summer solstice, the naked eye can see no change in the sun, whether increasing or decreasing. All right. So we now have three days separating between the solstice and Christmas. And we as Christians go through um, we go through the, the, the tradition of the third day, uh, which is a long tradition in Hebrew tradition and in Christian tradition. The third day stands for journey. But what we also know in our Christian tradition mm-hmm. is that Jesus was in the tomb three days. And for this reason, Christian said, ah, now having three days between the night of the winter solstice and Christmas morning is perfect because we go through a three-day journey Mm. and now on Christmas morning is the first moment that the human eye can perceive that light is increasing. Everything in the Christian calendar was initially predicated on an experience of nature as part of the teaching of the spiritual truth. We are the tradition of an incarnation in our bodies and an incarnation of nature. And we have the Christian year in the Northern Hemisphere because the celebration of the feast matches what's happening in the earth and the sky. Why did, why did we lose this? I, oh my gosh. It's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's wild how much it all makes sense yeah. once you actually know. Because no, like nobody teaches you this stuff. Like you, you have to go looking. You have to, or it, it has to find you. But it's, it's crazy. I guess I, I know that we're, we're running pretty a little bit over time. Um, I, I know you know that this show, a lot of it is about practice, about uh, about faith and practicality as, as things change and as seasons finish and as we expect something new. I, I think that what you said about how there's, there's a new generation kind of rising up and, and reclaiming this ancient faith this ancient way of of viewing things um and that the spirit's doing something that that they're stirring something what what would you say to people who are sitting here in this moment whether impacted by covid seriously or not with those things in mind what are some things to do during this Advent season, or what are some so things to, to the degree to that look this out time for? Is a dark time to, to look to see during in the this outer time. world if you're in the northern hemisphere, or in your inner world, regardless of where you are, because of COVID and all the stresses and cultural strains that we're under. To remember that this is how things begin again, and to imagine 
to pray and to imagine bringing the radiance of the Christ into your life. Mm. Um, I do an outer practice to help me realize an inner an inner reality, and that is when I set up my crash or my nativity scene, um, I don't put a baby Jesus in the manger. Um, I put a candle or a tea light. Mm-hmm. And I remember that in the darkness of my life, that's where the radiance is reignited. And then I also do a second thing, which is I write my commitment to spiritual practice or to virtue or to qualities that I want for the coming year. And I place them near that manger. And I pray that the incarnation of that baby 2,000 years ago will become evident in the incarnation of how I live in the days ahead. Well, that's probably the best dang answer I've ever gotten. Of, of ways to ways to be expectant and ways to to be ready because it's yeah I think we're all ready for something new um, and and with that being said Alexander where where can people find you where can people find uh, the PDF of this book and when should people be expecting um, it's it's available right now and only through my website, and it will no longer be available come the 6th of January. Okay. So please go to my website, which is Q-U-A-D, quad for four, Q-U-A-D-R-A-T-O-S.com. Mm. And uh, it's an entirely new website. Uh, this is the 20th anniversary of the idea of Quadratus, and for that, we just created this brilliant new website. I'm so grateful to two 30-somethings in Washington, D.C. who helped us redesign this. Uh, so when you're there, look for the tab that says Books on the homepage. Click on the tab that says Books, and there's a drop-down menu, and you'll see all my books. And the last book in the list is The 13 Days of Christmas. Click on the 13 days of Christmas and uh, follow from there. Heck yeah. No, everyone, please go do it. It's, uh, yeah, I can't even begin to express how, how, how good it's been for my soul and how, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a, it's been a good, good thing for me. It's brought me a lot of healing, a lot of, a lot of hope in, in a, in a season that is particularly dark. So Alexander, I'm trying to encourage the guest, but I just want to reiterate again, just you, every time I hear you talk, every time I interview you, like you blow me away with, with the wisdom and the, the things that, that you say. And, and also not only that, but the conviction with which, with which you say it, um, that can only be found from people that have actually experienced it themselves. And so I just want to say how appreciative I am of you. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm excited to see where this work goes and, and how it impacts people as it has me. Chris, that's the best gift underneath my tree. Hmm. Thank, you. Thank you, brother. Uh, I want to well, wish, wish all the listeners and I want to wish you 
just the merriest and holiest 13 days of Christmas. Thank you, Alexander. You too.